A little reflection question here for you today. As painful as it may be to ask this question, we're going to face it. Did you have dreams, goals, hopes, and expectations about a year ago for your life in the year 2020? What were you hoping for? What were you dreaming of? What were your goals and expectations? And did those goals, dreams, hopes, and expectations, did they work out the way that you hoped and planned? What about 2020 went the way you thought it would and what did not? For some, 2020 may have been not too bad. But for many... 2020 is a reminder that the life doesn't always go as expected, does it? It's one of the most unpredictable years in the history of any of our lives. No matter how old we are, when we on our deathbeds look back on life, we will never forget 2020 and all the craziness that it brought along. And so as we gaze ahead into 2021, we must wonder... What plans do we have? What goals and dreams and expectations are set before us now? If you have any, some people just kind of give up on hoping. They're just existing. If you're not hoping or dreaming, if you don't have a plan or a goal or a hope or a dream, then you're just kind of existing. But God called us to be a people of hope. He called us to be a people who envision new things, who envision different things, who look forward to something in life. We're not just called to merely exist throughout human history, hunkering down, exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide until we finally expire. No, he's calling us to engage, to move ahead, to look forward, to have the courage to look ahead no matter what's happened in the past. Don't stop believing, my friends. These times of moving into a new year really kind of serve as a pause for us. A checkpoint for us to ask some of these questions. How how is my life going? Where is my life going? And for those of us who have the, the faith and the courage, we can ask ourselves that ever important question. What is God's plan for my life? life. If you had 15 minutes, a pen, and a piece of paper to answer the question right now, what is God's plan for my life? What would you write down? It's a good question, isn't it? God's plan for my life. Different people have different philosophies on how to go about even understanding God's will or God's plan for my own life. There on one end is a very small number of people who, who really believe that God has a very detailed plan for their life. When you open up the closet, does God want me to pick the blue shirt or the red shirt today? Does God want me to eat Mexican food or Chinese food? Every little detail, God has a will and, and we have to make sure we don't mess that up. Most people don't really buy into that, but but some people get a little nervous. What if I'm not doing every little thing God wants me to do? Now, I believe that God sometimes loves to get into the details. I believe there are times when God says, hey, 
You just need to pick the red shirt today. I mean, we see in Scripture, sometimes God leads people to do the funniest things. But I think for the most part, God created the world. He gave us this thing called free will. And he said, hey, it's yours. Stay within these bounds. You know, kind of like you can eat any, any fruit of any of the tree of the garden. I'm not going to tell you which one. Just don't eat that one. You have freedom and agency. Go. Go and live the life I've called you to live. But sometimes he does get in the details. And then there's the approach that I think most of us people of faith take, that, that really God's will or God's plan is really just kind of with the big stuff, the harder decisions. And these are decisions that happen from when you're young all the way to your final days. Things like, you know, what should I major in in school? What school should I go to? Should I get another degree? What career should I choose? Is, is this a person that, that I am... I want to marry. Do I, do I want to have kids? How many kids do I want to have? What, what do I do about this job? Do I, do I, do I take this new job? Do I, do I move to a new place? Do we buy a new house? Do we, do we downsize? How do I raise these children? These are some of the questions I'm going through. I'm just kind of projecting myself here at this, at this point in life. And then it kind of goes, you know, when do I retire? How much do I save? Do I need to take the car keys away from my 97-year-old father who doesn't know how to drive anymore? You know, what do I do with my legacy? All those kinds of questions. Those are the big kinds of questions, and they happen through every phase of life. What is God's plan for my life? And then there's this third category of God's will and God's plan that is really fascinating. And it's kind of this plan that says, well, if it's God's will, it's just going to happen. I hear this from time to time. Well, if it's God's will, it's just going to happen. So there's nothing I can do about it. Philosophically, this is what you might call a version of what's called fatalism. Well, it's fate. And it's combined with, this, with God. And so, yeah. So I've heard this one a few times. Uh, I've heard a few people say in the year 2020, well, I don't wear a mask because, you know, if, if it's God's will that I die, I die. But if you follow that logic, then why would you lock your doors at night? Don't even bother to lock your doors because if it's God's will that you're going to get robbed, you're going to get robbed. Why not drive 150 miles an hour down Marsha Sharp Freeway? If it's God's will that you're going to get a ticket, you're going to get a ticket anyway. If it's God's will, you're going to wreck. You're going to wreck. You see, that logic doesn't make sense, does it? Often, the whole God's will card, if I die, I die, is simply an excuse for irresponsible living. So if you ever tell me, your pastor, well, if it's God's will that I do this, I do this, just know I'm immediately going to say, yeah, you're probably just being irresponsible. Okay? I'm just saying. Just, just know that. Now, I have to say, however, there is some security in knowing that all of my life isn't all up to me and all my decisions. There is a sense of security in knowing that God has a will and that, that there's something about me that, that can't totally screw that up. I kind of like that. So somewhere in here of trying to figure out God's plan and God's will for my life, let us jump into Ephesians 1 with all these questions, shall we? Paul kicks off this letter to the Ephesians and most likely a letter that circulated to the surrounding churches 
of Ephesus. He kicks off this letter with one of the longest sentences in the Bible. Uh, My middle school English teacher would have never let me write a sentence like this. I I would have been able to anyway. But this sentence from Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, in English, we've broken it up. In the Greek, it is one sentence. It's one of the longest that we have in all of Scripture. It's like this run-on sentence, a run-on stream of praise that just keeps gushing out of the uh, Apostle Paul. And it's like he can't even stop to put a period down. He's, got, he's in the zone, and he's writing, 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 and he just can't stop. He's just got to keep going and going and going and going. And we look at this 2,000 years later, and, and I've probably read or listened to this one sentence this past week probably 200 times because I have to preach on it, so that's what I do. And I'm still like, what? Huh? It's still, it's so dense. There's so much to uh, unpack. There's so much in it to mine. It's full of amazing beauty. It's, it's so uh, dense. It's, it's just hard to fathom. What's strange about this amazing introductory sentence to the letter to, to these Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, is that Paul is writing this from prison. He's under house arrest in Rome around the year A.D. 60, 61, somewhere in there. What's also strange is that he's writing it to the Ephesian church. And in the city of Ephesus, it is, it's one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And it's the home to the Temple of Artemis. The Temple of Artemis is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. So what you have is the glory of Rome and the glory of Ephesus, all these man-made fabrications that people look and are just awed by and inspired by. People look at them and they say, how in the world can there be anything greater than this? And there Paul is in prison writing to this little group of Ephesian believers. And Paul doesn't seem to be shaken by the fact that he's in prison. He doesn't be, he's not shaken by the fact that he's probably going to be martyred for his faith pretty soon. Because he knows there's some bigger plan. God's plan. And Paul is resting assured in the fact that he is square in the middle of it. Live or die. And nothing can steal that away from him. Nothing apart from his own free will can force that out of his hand. In one single sentence, Paul praises God. He revels in the knowledge that through Jesus, God has chosen Paul and the believers in Ephesus. They didn't choose God. God chose them. They have been claimed. They have been grabbed. They have been acted upon my family and i snuck off to the mountains of new mexico and took a quick ski trip this last week it's one of my favorite things to do is just to get away and to get lost on the backside 
of some black diamond with a bunch of trees and no one else, my legs hurting, breathing that 9,000-foot oxygen, if there is any up there, and just wearing myself out. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do, and to do it with my family. Love to do it. It reminded me of when I was um, a younger boy. I think I was probably in high school. And my, my dad, who taught me how to ski, we were getting on a ski lift together. And I can remember somehow in the process of getting on the ski lift, one of my skis got tangled up in the snow. This is just how I, I used to be. I was just that kid. And I remember if the, the lift keeps going, okay? So the lift doesn't stop for you. If your ski gets tangled in the snow, it's really hard to sometimes get it unstuck. And so I felt myself as the lift was moving forward and my foot was stuck back there, I felt myself, my rear end sliding closer and closer to the edge. And, and for that split second, I knew I was fully out of control of my, where my body was going. I, was, I, was, I, was, I needed help. I, or I was going to do a face plant about four feet down into the snow. And just about the time I almost went over the edge, I felt this hand grab the back of my jacket. It was the hand of my father. And at that moment, I remember being surprised by the strength of that hand that not only grabbed me, but pulled me back onto the chair. And it's just kind of etched in my mind. It, it, it wasn't one of those things that ended up being a big deal, but it's a memory that will forever be in my mind that my father's hand grabbed me and pulled me out and pulled me up and pulled me back. And it was not of my choosing. It was his plan. It was his will. It was his doing. Paul is saying in this one sentence that through Jesus, God has done stuff for us that we could have never had control over. He is saying, you did not choose God. He chose you. And when he chose you, he had a plan. And he had a purpose in mind for you and for your life. That purpose is that God, before He even created the world, He created human beings for the reason and for the, the purpose of worshiping Him, praising Him, being holy and blameless before Him in love. That's the destiny that God has made us for. That's why you and I exist more than any other reason for us to exist. And this purpose includes the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, that, our, that the things of the past can be wiped away, the things of, uh, that we have messed up in 2020 and 2019 and 2018 and yesterday can be wiped away. We can be forgiven and that we're given an inheritance, an inheritance that, that someday we will be able to lay claim to in glory. And God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment of this inheritance so that we can hang on to Him no matter what happens to us, whether it's the year 61 or the year 2021. And so as we reflect on this dense passage in Ephesians chapter 1, 
think maybe we just had the original question backwards. Maybe we first don't need to ask, what is God's plan for my life? Maybe we need to ask, how does my life fit into God's great plan? Maybe we start with God as the sinner. Maybe we start with God as the first and the last. And then we find our place in His world. Maybe in doing that, we can learn to live in peace. So, let's ask that question. How does your life fit into God's great plan? How does your life fit into this cosmic Ephesians chapter 1 passage? You know, when we ask it in that way, it kind of frees us up. It's kind of freeing to know that we don't have to be at the center of our own lives. It's kind of freeing to know that we don't have to be in control of everything. It's a, it's a, it's a false narrative anyway. It doesn't mean we just go through time doing whatever. But it does mean we have a sense of security. That we have our responsibility, but that God has His promises on us too. It releases us from so many of the worries and entanglements of life. When we see that we've been scooped up and picked up and pulled up into a much larger plan, then our lives find their meaning in being chosen by God, more so than our lives would find their meaning in our hopes, dreams, and goals for ourselves in the year 2021. So that in one year from now, no matter what happens, we can still be those people who find ourselves in God's story. So how do we get there? How do, we, how do we start right in January of 2021? Well, first, we worship. Worship is utterly essential to being a true human being. Worship is something that happens in history. You can worship on January 3rd, 2021. We're doing that right now in human history. But worship is also timeless. It's also eternal. I just finished leading our 830 Sunday School class through the book of Revelation in a, about a 13-week study. Talk about a challenge. In the book of Revelation, all kinds of crazy things are happening. But it always comes back to this one scene in the book where there's a throne and God is in the throne and there's this lamb next to the throne and the Spirit of God is around the throne and all creation is worshiping. And then a bunch of crazy stuff happens and then it comes back to this scene of worship. A bunch of crazy stuff happens, it comes back to this scene of worship. A bunch of crazy stuff happens and the, the book ends with worship. Worship is the one thing we got no matter what. You can worship if you've had the best year of your life. You can worship if you've had the worst year of your life. Worship is not conditioned on the things of history. Worship is there and available for you no matter how good or bad your life is going right now. 
And you and I were made to do just that, to worship God in all seasons. So 2021 can be for you a year of worship if you choose to do so. If you choose to respond to your chosenness. When we worship, we find ourselves. We kind of locate ourselves. It's like the GPS of God's will. The second thing we can do is we can immerse ourselves in this story. Ephesians chapter 1 is a very densely packaged part of this story. But the more we immerse ourselves in this story, the more we, we know who we are. The more we know whose we are. We know where we belong. And we, we learn through doing that what God has called each of us to be and do in the day in and the day out. Related to all this is learning to still time away, to pray, to meditate, and to remember that God has a bigger picture. It's a bigger picture than our lives. And that we can find ourselves, we can find a lot of comfort in that. And then finally, we can seek the Holy Spirit. Ask God to give you His Spirit. Wait for His Spirit. Long for His Spirit. The Spirit that is the pledge of our inheritance, the down payment of our salvation. Ask Him to give you faith. Ask Him to remind you that you're His adopted daughter. You're His adopted son. For the most part, these are just kind of fundamentals of the faith, right? And we're, not, we're not talking about new things. We're talking about tested, tried, and true realities. Things that we can do as a response to what God has already done and His saving grace and His saving love. I hope that we can move forward into this next year with that sense of groundedness of whose we are and where he's calling us to be and go.